welcome to episode 191 of Friends of Film, where we release new news and review the biggest new release, which this week is it, Chapter 2. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again, joined by Josh Daly. You know, Cooper, I'm a little bit tiffed off right now. Oh, are you? Yeah. Festival season's here. Uh-huh. And Does it have my... anything to do with the thing that's about to premiere right now? Uh, well, I know, yes, I know what you're speaking of. And yes, that number one, but number two, just all the festivals going on uh-huh. right now. We're here. They're there. Yes. People are tweeting over there and it's my feed is just like, this one's great. This one's garbage. And then it's just like going down the list of like, I would, I would be raving about like seeing every one of these movies. <laughs> and then the, the privilege of them just to be like, man, with like three or four lines is infuriating. I don't know if I was seeing a movie early. I don't if I, I, I think I would be insufferable, but the, the the nonchalance of everyone, you know, is just I don't know. It's making me like antsy. I guess. <laughs> I mean, I guess I understand that point, but not everything's going to be a a four V Ferrari or hopefully fingers crossed and knives out. I mean, mm-hmm. we're recording right now as the world premiere of the movie is happening at TIFF. So. Yes. Hopefully in the next like two hours or so, uh, after we're done recording, there will be rave reviews for the next Ryan Johnson film. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is it is super uh, frustrating to see all these reactions and know like, oh yeah, I'm gonna wait. Like like Just Mercy just had his premiere, mm-hmm. great reviews, great reactions, and we all we've seen is the trailer this week, and yes. it's like, oh, I I still have to wait four months to see this movie great <laughs> and then some films it's just like beyond that too so then you're like well here's i guess this will be my opinion of the movie and then when i see it in february or march right. or after the oscars gets its like wide release thing you know in the aftermath of mm-hmm. it it's like okay well that was cool <laughs> and so you just have to like soak up that experience yeah basically yeah uh, but anyway um that like festival news all over twitter but if you're looking for movies that are a little more obtainable, along with that festival news, we've got it for you. Sometimes. Sometimes. On Twitter, at Friends and Film, A-N-D Film. So jump over there and give us a follow. But if you're looking for movies that we can review and have reviewed, go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere podcasts can be found. And if you can, on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. That will ultimately help rank us, and then we can find more friends of the show. That's right. Now, before we get into our review of It Chapter 2, the sequel two years after the fact of the 2017 It movie from Warner Brothers, uh, Josh, is there anything else that you watched this week that you think the listeners should know about? Uh, yeah. The Hustle? Are you familiar with this? The the Anne one that Hathaway, just came out? Rebel Wilson? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> no. I'm shocked. I really wanted to like it. And then I forgot about it, uh-huh. and then, unfortunately, I relearned about it. Pass. No it, good. Anne Hathaway is funny. She's like, she's back. Even with her accent, because that seems like a bit uh, extra. It was a little bit distracting, but I, I, I found through with it. Rebel Wilson's like, Schick is just as funny, too. Mm-hmm. But like, the two of them together, and then the nowhere plot of the movie, and then everything just goes, falls flat. Okay. So a pass on the hustle. A pass on the hustle. I'm All right. sorry, folks. I I I'm, I can't say I'm surprised with that. Um, <laughs> for me, I started uh, what I've called hashtag Scorsese September. Yes, you um, know about going this. going through Scorsese's entire filmography, basically except for like two films that are not available to stream or rent anywhere. Um, 
this month in the lead up to Joker, which has lost Scorsese influences, but then also in the lead up to the Irishman, which comes out later this year. Uh, I figured this is a good opportunity to, uh, or motivation to finally catch up on a lot of films I've not seen of his and then rewatch stuff that I have seen uh, for the first time in a while. Um, and this week, I only saw three of his films, so it hasn't gone the greatest in terms mm-hmm. of my scheduling. <laughs> um, but all three are first time views. I watched uh, Who's That Knocking at My Door, his first film, the stars Harvey Keitel, and it's not great. Like, it's not, it's not even like good. Um, and I was like, oh, this is like weird to see, like, at least that's my opinion of it. Whereas, like, you know, the reactions from it from like 1976 when this movie came out mm-hmm. were like, oh, this is great stuff from Scorsese. He, you can really tell he's putting his uh, his finger on the pulse. He's gonna he's gonna be somebody to watch. And I'm like, oh, really? I don't I don't know. I don't really get it. It seems like he, it's not even really his story to tell. I'm not sure if he's the right guy to tackle this story. It seemed odd. Boxcar Bertha. It's the second film that I watched. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, that that was a little better, but still not great. The story is kind of meandering and like not super focused. And I was kind of left wondering what like the character motivations were. Okay. Um, but then the one that I think his third film, which is, I think is where he really broke onto the scene is mean streets. Hmm. Rob De Niro, Harvey Keitel got a great cast and it's definitely the best one I've seen so far. I still don't like love it. Um, but you know, you can tell it's like the foundational work for where Scorsese is going to go to, you know, create these great mob gangster movies and stuff. So, um, that's a good one. Uh, Mean Streets and Who's That Knocking At My Door are both on Netflix. Boxcar Bertha is on Amazon Prime if any of you guys want to go check that out. So um, those are the those are the three big ones for me this week. I mean, there were some other ones too, but let's jump in to It Chapter 2 instead. Josh, uh, do you want to kick us off with this? Yes, I would love to do that. And I want to say this about It Chapter 2. Never before, like, it's it's great but I didn't like it as much as a chapter one. And it, and because it struggles what to do when you separate King's tome apart in a lot of ways. And so much, it's, it's so reliant. The, the two halves of that book are so reliant on one another and build on one another that when you finally get to chapter two, which is two years later in the minds of audiences and everyone you know going to this movie, when you get to it, it feels like it's been forever. It feels like it's been those 27 years and this movie needed, felt it needed to remind us of everything that we saw before. And that's where it really gets tapered down and weighed down. Um, Jessica Chastain, Bill Hader, James McElvoy, uh, James Ranson and Jay Ryan um, all collide to make, to bring the losers club to like life. Um, 27 years later, James Ranson is incredible impeccable i could not believe um how great he was you know replicating jack jill and grazier's mannerisms and just like the the side eye look mm-hmm. that he gives throughout those things and same for like bill Hader, you know um bringing back film finn wolfhards as richie hazer um james mcavoy as uh bill fine yeah a little His, little bit of a headwick vibe <laughs> yeah the, the american accent thing too is always weird to get from him, but Jessica Chastain is Beverly Marsh. She's a little subdued in this one, which is interesting, I thought, but still good. Um, but the story grapples with all of the things that we kind of know about these characters from the first book, and it doesn't always do it well because it keeps having to stop and pause to send us back in time rather than let James, um, Jessica Chastain, or you know, these adult characters grapple with them rather than it it leans on those past things and 
all of that is going on in the midst of, you know, the return of it, uh, Bill Skarsgård's Penny the Wise, The Dancing Clown, which is maniacal and brutal as ever. Um, and some of the kill scenes, like the very first opening moment is, um, for a lot of reasons, like kind of not turning and sickening mm-hmm. um, on two different levels. But it just cascades and gets worse and worse and worse. And you're not being really scared as you are just having like really dark images thrown in your face. And so it loses a little bit of that fear vibe um, that we were really getting in the first chapter. And so that kind of let me down a little bit, but um, overall though, like the scale and size and the length of this movie is impressive on the least. And like, I love seeing that kind of play out. Like it's a two hour and 40 minute movie. Mm -hmm. I felt it, but at the same time, everything in it, I kind of felt, was essential to get to that great point, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of that said, I'm going to give it four out of five ticket stubs. Um, Andy Muschietti is phenomenal um, uh, directing, like just knowing how all the parts work together. I thought it did stick the landing. And um, yeah, I can't wait to put these side by side together. Yeah, I mean, have you seen the the rumors that, or not, not only think the rumors anymore, that like, Muschietti is working on in a supercut of It, one and two which yeah. would be insane i think to see because he's it's not just he says like putting them together and be like oh spicy spice spice, spice. Mm-hmm. there they are it's like completely re-editing like the whole structure i guess yes. which would be i think super fascinating to see it's how the book is laid out and that's that's really what i want that that's what i would is, love to see how that narrative goes after six hours is the book constant flashbacks or is it kind of like the movies where the first half is the kids and then the second half is the adults sprinkled with flashbacks it's it's really sort of you get that you know the opening from it chapter one Uh uh-huh you it's that and then a narrative and then you get spliced in between so it's sort of like the present day is the childhood and it's flashing forward oh interesting okay and so you get the seeds and then you get the um Hmm. just kind of them grappling with what happened in these places as they go okay so it's really cool um i thought that i mean i'm in the agreement with you in a lot of ways that it chapter two is still an enjoyable movie, but it's, it's hard to kind of follow up the, there's like that special quality to it chapter one with just kind of nobody really knew. Well, you know, Stephen King adaptations of kind of a, a shady or uh, an uneven track records. Mm-hmm. Like can Muschietti do this? Who are these young kids? We don't, we've never really seen most of them except for Finn Wolfhard, you know, what are we really in for? And then it hits and we're all like, wow, this movie was phenomenal and there, it's always tough to follow that up and i think this uh movie shows why that is the case and because it is a step down in a lot of ways it's not um as as tight of a film it's not as uh i mean it is still enjoyable but there's not that kind of constant either like humor or dread that that first movie brings and the chemistry between those kids is so great and they're pretty much always together mm. whereas this movie, there's a large chunk of time where they're all split up apart and you don't really get to see the chemistry of these this incredible cast that you assemble that you mentioned before. Um, you don't really get to see them interact a lot during like the middle portion of the film, which is good because it builds a lot of their characters, but also, you know, you're kind of like, oh, I kind of wish I could see more of them together. Um, and I think that, like you mentioned, the almost three hour runtime is both a curse and a blessing for this film because it is, it does give you so much um, time to spend with these characters. But at the same point, the, the way that I think they chose to execute this is where the problem lies because it's just very repetitive over and over. It's like Mike Hanlon, 
this is Mike Hanlon. Who am I talking to? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is this is Bill. Oh, this is Bev. Hey, it's Mike Hanlon. It's like that's the first act, and the second act is all them going off their own. And it's like, it's all just set, felt like we're doing this again, and it all felt like the same structure with everything that we were going through. So that felt to me like it made the runtime a lot more noticeable. Where if they could have found some other way to make the structure of the story a little different, I think it really could have helped. Um, but otherwise, I mean, the, the cast performances are great. I, I agree with you that uh, James Ransone is probably the, like the standout, which just because I haven't really seen him in anything as far as I'm aware. Um, and then Bill Hader was, I think him and James just combined, they were a great one-two punch. And of course, you know, James McAvoy, mm-hmm. Jessica Chastain, both great. Isaiah Mustafa and Jay Ryan, really good uh, there as well. And I mean, what else can you say about Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise other than, you know, he is still just super creepy and terrifying. And every time he was on screen laughing or crying and like trying to lure in children, it's like, Oh gosh, this is just the worst, mm-hmm. but also like the best type of like horror in a way. So um, it works in a lot of areas. It doesn't work in some, there's still great scares. Um, I thought some of the de-aging they did for the kids, a little noticeable, oh my goodness. especially with um, Finn Wolfhard. It is just like that. Maybe it was just because I, you know, we just saw Stranger Things three, and it's like, oh, he's not a nine year old anymore, and now it's like you're trying to, you know, make him still like this baby face, and it just like it was very noticeable and felt off putting. Yeah, Jeremy Ray Taylor's was also awful too. Yeah, which I don't know what he looks like now, but like, yeah, there's just something weird about all of them. Except, I mean, well, for those two specifically, Mm -hmm. I thought you know Jack Dylan Grays. There's a couple moments I'm like that. Nope that that's. Right. There's something off there, but uh, I mean, I think for the most part, this is, I, I like you kind of mentioned. I don't know what else you could have done with this movie without you know, and still executing the way that this has to go. Um, you know, as somebody who hasn't read the books, there were surprises. There were some things that when it happened. I was like, oh yeah, I remember like hearing about this. But overall, it's still an enjoyable time. That's I think if you like the first movie, you're gonna get the enjoyment from the cast, the enjoyment out of the scares, um, just maybe not as tight of a story as the first one. But I'm going to give it three and a half ticket stubs out of five, and we can jump into spoilers. Yeah, uh, but first thing, though, I just want to reiterate, like, sure. harp on what you said is the chemistry part is golden when they get to the the Jade of the Orient restaurant. Yeah. Um, like, the, the loser club is back mm-hmm. and there's good times all around the table bill um bill Hader and james ranson are like um they're just they're just they're, they're instantly connecting with each other like all the way through the movie mm-hmm. and um that plants a seed for um i guess kind of the reveal that um richie is like gay and, mm-hmm. and that and but also just sort of like that kind of chemistry and like backlogging is really cool um and you just feel you feel at home the way you feel part of the friend group. You feel at home the yes. way the first movie made you feel all the way through, but that doesn't last. Um, and I think that that's sort of part of the movie, but also it's like a wish of like, why can't we have more of all of that mm-hmm. in so many ways? But also James Ranson just on a, by, on his own though was plenty hilarious, especially with the return of um, the crazy guy whose name I'm really forgetting the right now. Psychiatrist, or not the psychiatrist, the drugstore guy. Yes. Oh, well, not the drugstore guy. The um, the bully from their youth. Oh, um, Bowers. Yes, Henry Henry Bowers. Thank you. Yeah, like he's just like uh, Henry Bowers is in my bathroom, right? <laughs> As he's just like been stabbed in the face, uh-huh. which is nuts. And like um, that whole that whole sequence was like pitch perfect from ransom yeah as i understand in the books like that's where eddie actually dies is 
at the hand of Bowers. Is that correct? Yeah, they kind of move that forward a little bit. Yeah, so they they give you like, they give book readers a fake out there of like, oh, here it comes, and then you know they delay his death till the end of the film, mm-hmm. which uh, is definitely one of the the sadder parts of the film. It's like where that's where all of the buildup throughout the three hours really comes to fruition. Like, like you really come to once again care about this older version of him. I wish there was maybe like a little more of like a like play on the fact that he was like a risk. Um, advisor guy and be like guys I don't know if we should do this it seems pretty risky to me like there's all these different like, variables that seem to not go in our favor um, but otherwise I mean his 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 death and goodbye um, I think is probably the emotional centerpiece of the film there's the great moment at the very end where they're all uh, crying uh, together around Richie um, as they mourn in the in the pond which uh, is great as well and again hats off to Bill Hader because he can do those those dramatic moments and also hit you with a comedy throughout which uh was great to see him yeah do both it was like watching an hour-long buried character you know right. like, like in that like which was like perfect prep for it it's nuts um they did make some really great changes okay to the book i will say though um just for like book fans and things like that like this thing isn't this thing is extraterrestrial mm-hmm. um as it is in the book but it's not laying eggs it's not an underground like alien ripoff that uses fear to you know feed and scare its opponents or anything like that it's not um it's not spreading its tentacles out right. across the land it's just a it's a um monolith of a thing mm-hmm. um so that was i like that a whole lot better for all of the reasons no egg laying or no uh, no magic tur- turtles no magic turtles which was was weird to me not that they didn't do it because like i don't even know really their role in the books but just i've heard about them but then watching the first movie again there's like a reference which i missed the first time when they're all swimming in that lake of them fi- like hitting a turtle or like stubbing their toe on a turtle or something mm-hmm. and then in this movie there when um uh, when ben is walking through their old school yes he walks into a classroom and there is a turtle on the desk and i was like they just keep kind of laying these seeds about the turtles. Are they actually going to do mm-hmm. it? And then they didn't. And I was like, oh, it, interesting. It, the, the whole, the turtle things are like a Stephen King war. He gets into the multiverse right. thing and it just extends and extends and it goes and it goes. And um, it's just one of those weird surreal things. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of glad they stripped out because I mean, in, in grander context, yes, it works. But if you're going to hit on everything that it, it is, is in it, mm-hmm. the literal novel, you're going to be in that movie, your theater for another four hours right and i mean we, it's I, extensive the, I mean, the there's not a lot of seeds as far as i could tell for the stephen king universe um in this movie the one very clear uh reference outside of stephen king cameo which uh was a pleasant surprise to see hmm. um was when the younger version of bowers uh said hey john like it's johnny and i was like no nah. <laughs> that that just like immediately took me out of the movie i was like oh why it doesn't make any it doesn't make any sense like why he would say that yeah uh oh but there's also like the great with the great king cameo i did like kind of appreciate the Mm self-commentary of not only the novel it but also the first adaption but also like all king books in general at least the adaptions that have you know become essential to pop culture Mm -hmm. is the you can't stick the landing his endings always suck um bill is on set at a movie (laughs) that's being worked on and he's supposed to deliver pages and they're always like oh yeah your endings always suck Mm -hmm. and it's a really like specific commentary on kind of how king's books get perceived in like general and everything like that and i just thought that was plenty hilarious speaking of bill's job as an 
somewhat acclaimed writer book author yes. um how different are like the older version of the losers clubs lives to where the book has them it's at, they're actually pretty well on um mike like remains in dairy that okay. was spot on um Bill is basically the stand-in for Stephen King. Okay, he, so he does become an author. Yeah, he, okay. I mean, he 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 appears in his books all the time. Oh, okay, like quite literally, if you go to the Dark Tower series, like he's, he's an actual character. Oh, okay. that they have to keep alive. Interesting. Um, it's nuts, though. Yeah, Ben's the architect. Stan's a wealthy accountant. Um, like as we saw, mm-hmm. and then Mike is. I think they made him a. Oh, what is Mike? He's. I think he's like insurance, but they made him like an accountability guy or a, what do you call it an actuary in yeah. the risk assessment mm-hmm. is what they call it oh, yeah so, that's eddie that's eddie yeah thank you and so that's what eddie is okay and they go but like is through. is richie a stand-up comedian that was the one i was like oh, are, a, are they just leaning into the bill Hader thing a, or he's not a stand-up comedian he is a dj or he's a radio jockey okay like a really popular i guess the, um, that makes sense. radio personality gotcha okay yeah. so they're um, just updating a lot of it for the times mm-hmm, which makes yes. a lot of sense i was just like some of these i was like hmm like was like Stephen King like this like self-referential like when he's writing these novels or are they just like updating a lot of these to be like oh this fits the character and it's semi close to what they did in the books so yeah it's really close okay um we we kind of touched on this already but I want to circle back to the reveal that Richie is gay because mm-hmm. this is something that's not set up in the first movie it's not from the books um in my understanding it's, and yeah. subtext it sure. was. I think a like I understand like I have no problem with the reveal. Uh, I just am not sure like they didn't go for it in my mind. It was just kind of like an idea. They're like, it's 2019. Let's make somebody gay, and they're like, oh, Richie's gonna be the person, but we're not really gonna mention it. Mm-hmm. And it just felt weird to me to have the reveal at the end that Richie was in love with Eddie, but then never to have Richie tell his friends this. Like that just seemed like a weird disconnect, especially after like the the taunting that Pennywise did to him of like, I know your like dark secret, mm-hmm. ha, 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 ha. and then the flashback to like when Richie's a kid and like he encounters uh, Bauer's cousin, yeah, I believe it was, and there's like maybe a connection there, but then like you know he gets made fun of, and with the, how this movie opens, which I understand is also from the book where you know these locals to Derry uh, basically murder a gay guy and then beat up his his boyfriend um it was just it just felt like a really weird thematic thing for this movie to like kind of deal with but then not fully go with yeah and it's i mean like it like there there those are the elements that you like you see mm-hmm. and it's clearly something specific but it never comes around to it yeah and and the with yeah with richie too like leaving it subtextual would have been like oh come on why can't you just get there like mm-hmm. it would like it would have been kind of maddening um so instead they do they they put those um like in those closing vignettes those little clips of everyone kind of going their separate way where they end up um ben and bev mm-hmm. bill probably writing the first chapter of a new book yeah and then you know mike setting off on his own and everything like that like you're getting those closure things and then so they bring that forward with bill Hader's character or with richie but yeah it's still like well why not why not have it actually said out loud yeah that, that was just the weird thing to me it was just like oh because like they don't really like truly confirm it until the very i believe it's the last shot of the film where he's recarving the r plus e into mm-hmm. the bridge um where it just it just felt weird to do it in that regard because i was expecting when they're all 
in the lake morning together for, you know, Rich's say, like just something along those. I loved him. And they would be like, okay, great. Or like we, we, we suspected it or something. And it just felt weird to just do it in this kind of offhand remark of like, people may not like, there's a way for people to leave this movie and not totally put one in like, you know, R plus E together to realize that it means a Richie plus Eddie. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it, yeah, it's, 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 an, it's as elusive as, you know, you can be without yeah. like actually saying it. And I don't, I don't know. Um, they did also change kind of the, uh, the ending a little bit too. Okay. They end up forgetting. In the book? Yeah. They ended, really? There is no, there is no, I'm not, there is no um, closure moment like Mike's saying. Like it's a, it's a, it's a referential change on the actual ending. Do they forget like immediately or? No, their memory just fades of the whole thing. Okay. Dairy so itself as a town starts to die. Oh. And it's, like I said, yeah. Like there's no closure. There's no happiness. There's no right. anything. It's all just, you're kind of like, was that for naught? Well, I mean, there's been those sorts th- of ways. And it's, it's so, it was so interesting to see those changes come around. Um, hmm. But like fascinating as it all. I'm glad the, um, so yeah, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm just thinking like, that's a very, like I could understand, I guess why they would go that route, like in the book. Um, just cause it's like, you know, I mean, it's, I don't think it's not for not because you still defeated Pennywise in the book. And I guess maybe, I don't know if you ruined this town in the process i guess that's probably one downside of this whole thing but you still stop the evil but i I don't know i wonder if because we only see them at the end of this movie like some of them i don't know like a month a week removed we have no idea what the timeline is of how much time has passed since they defeated pennywise so Mm -hmm. i guess it's still possible that they they remember it now because it's a week later but then (laughs) a couple (laughs) years down the line they're like it's a day after. Yeah, it's like, wait, Mike, who's who are you? He's yeah. back again. What? Mm-hmm. Who are you talking about? They're like, yo, and they're seventy years right. old. Like, which which you wanted them to do at the start. Um, glad the Paul Bunyan statue stayed in. Yeah, that was really uh, intense. I, yeah, nuts actually. Like, I love like just it's it's a, it's a surreal thing to watch that thing just start lurching mm-hmm. at. Um, Young Richie, yeah. and then like I thought it was going to happen to Bill Hader too. Yeah, like because I really wanted to see him <laughs> just run for but it. That was like that was a really creepy Pennywise moment. Instead, where Pennywise approaches him and gives he gets the certificate of like his own like funeral, yeah. which was a little like took me out of the movie for just a split second because it's like you know 2016. I was like, hmm. oh, this movie takes place three years in the past. Interesting. Right. <laughs> Didn't even like put put that together because like 27 years after 1989 would have been 2016. But like I just thinking, oh, they released this movie in 2017 thinking, you know, 27 years later it would, you know, just be boom. This is when the next movie takes place. <laughs> but they didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah, they're, no, they're, they're behind two years. Yeah. Or they're behind a year with the release date uh-huh. and then they're behind three years with the sequel yeah and i was just like oh that's I, funny like you'd think they would be like all right we know we're doing two of these movies we're gonna shoot them basically back to back oh like my gosh maybe plan it out which i mean it's not that huge, that big of a deal but it's just it's a little uncommon to see a movie like this that's takes place in the semi-present day but it's also takes place three years in the past mm-hmm. so i don't know <laughs> but i guess it's almost four years now so yeah interesting. yes absolutely anything else i do have one question mm-hmm. um about kind of the end and Pennywise's abilities, because I was a bit surprised at the beginning, uh, not only because of the brutality and you know all that stuff, but um, that 
Pennywise could be seen by adults, which I, from my understanding of the first movie was that was something that like wasn't possible. Or maybe he only showed himself to children, but then at the beginning of this movie, we see him just openly take, you know, the, one of the gay guys and you're like, oh, and the other, and like his boyfriend sees him. So I, I was surprised by that aspect, uh, but I, maybe that's set up for the fact that now the adults can see him as well. Um, you know, the, the older members of Losers Club, but I had a question about the kid who now lives in uh, Bill's old house. Yeah. The the skateboarder who they see a couple times at the movie. He's a fan of Bill Hader's, which was a hilarious scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like, what does he, what does he say to him? Uh, like, oh, hey, Bill, um, this is time for the fun. Or no, hey, Richie, it's time for the fun to begin. Right, yeah. Or and he's it- like, don't do this to me. Don't. And he's I'm like, blows put- up on this kid. And he's mm-hmm. just like, dude, it's the first line of your opening act. <laughs> and then Richie has to say, I don't even write my own jokes. And he's like, I knew it. Yeah. yeah um, great Eddie moment. But uh, later on, uh, the skateboard for this kid shows up in this, um, they're not staying at the library. They're staying at like some hotel or something. And Bill sees this uh, skateboard. It flips upside down. There's job, bl- uh, blood dripping from it. And it says, uh, some of the lines I have like, he will die too, or you can't protect him as well. Um, and then Bill goes, and tries to save this kid, and we see Pennywise bite the kid and like in half and like kill him. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the lights flicker in the funhouse and come back on, and then we don't see anything. It's a reflective mirror that Bill has seen himself in. And so my question was, did that kid actually die or not, or was that whole thing a Pennywise like illusion? I have no clue about that. And that was I was like. I feel like they should have addressed that just like a passing of like oh there's the kid skating by or I, something right yeah there was no like hey he's fine or whatever right. like so i think we're i think i think we have to believe that that kid was a goner i guess I mean, so. his, that's like wait that's pretty sad basically like like 30 liters of blood that gets plastered all yeah. over that thing and then it's gone in an instant mm-hmm. which I, it's one of the things i still don't understand about like even like i still don't understand about pennywise's illusions they're real, but they're not real. Only Pennywise can eat you alive. Yes. The illusions can't hurt you because he actually feeds off the fear and then he'll suck your blood. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think so. Does he suck blood? I don't know. I mean, he probably has to do something with it. I guess. I'm not, yeah, I'm not really sure. I just like, all I know is Pennywise scares people and if they're scared, then he can attack them. Yes. When they're not afraid, he shrivels up. But then, uh, but then how does that work with the opening? Because like, is, Those people were already afraid of the bullies. Or okay, like, that yeah, makes the sense. They just have to have a general sense of fear, not necessarily, I guess, fear of him. Yeah. Okay, that works. And so he fed off of that. Yeah, okay. Um, makes sense. Did you have something else about that point? I felt nope. like we were going somewhere. I uh, don't. That's about all I have. That's about all I really okay. have. The, the one thing that uh, I'll also mention is re-watching the first one going into this sequel. Um, I was like, wait, why does... Bev like Bill makes no sense uh, to me. And so then I, but I was still worried, even though I, I remembered from like hearing people talk about the book and stuff that, you know, Ben and Bev end up together. Mm-hmm. I was still just like, well, it's James McAvoy <laughs> versus Jay Ryan. Mm-hmm. One's an A-list or one is like, this is like his potential breakout role. Yes. And I was like, well, <laughs> seems like they're setting this up for a reversal, especially based on the first movie where they end it together. Right. And, uh, I was just like, watch that first movie. I was like, I just don't get this. Like Bev and Bill, they don't like, he's not, he doesn't really like her that much. Uh-huh. Uh, she only likes him because she thinks that he's sent that he wrote that poem for her. And I was like, man, if they, 
do this. And then when they kiss in the middle of the movie, I was like, oh, man, here we go again. Mm-hmm. And but then like they have that revealed the like in the like the third act when like Pennywise is like tormenting them all that like they that she finally figures it out. Then her and Ben end up together. I was like, oh, thank goodness. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And they end up together. That was like mm-hmm. crystal perfect. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm just, I feel like I feel like we're missing topics. Um, it's a, it's, a, it's an extensive movie. Um, there's some like allegorical things that are really on the nose. Mm-hmm. The scars on their hand after yeah. they've defeated Pennywise are gone. It's like oh, they defeated their childhood trauma. Uh-huh. Woo! Right. Like you know, there's like it's really heavy handed uh-huh. and. Um, but you know, it works. Yeah. I, I did like, <laughs> I, uh, I thought it was somewhat amusing when in the middle of their, uh, their first powwow together after all these years, they're like having a good time enjoying life. And then all of a sudden I, th- I believe it's Mike who was just like, or maybe it was Ben who was just like, so when's Stanley getting here? And everybody's like, oh yeah, Stanley. <laughs> <laughs> He's not even here. He's not even here. They've the, all the, forgot. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, that's forgotten. poor, poor, poor Stanley. And, you already, right. and like, you already know that he's that, like dead at that point. And it's just like, oh man <laughs> like you don't want to be that friend i guess you're yeah. just like the rest of the group's having a grand old time they're like hey whatever happened to this other guy we should probably call about our friend who's not here yeah then the you know forge cookie's like he's dead and you're like oh mm-hmm. my <laughs> such a dark way oh and there's also a great moment with um is it richie or is it eddie who introduces ben and he's like he's he was, he was wide and yeah, short uh, and now he's tall it's, and it's small. it's richie right because because richie? richie ben and uh, Bev enter together yes. and th- and I believe it's Bill who's like Beverly mm-hmm. and she's like yeah hi and then Richie's behind him going like <laughs> Ben he's, yes. he's huge he used to be huge and yeah it's a it's a it's a good comedic <laughs> moment and I mean yeah Bill Hader's full though it's like he's he has a ton of jokes uh, is there a favorite scare of yours favorite scare yeah see this the thing is like the scares really they they get you to jump and they move, mm-hmm. but there's the eeriness and the leeriness is gone. Yeah. This time around. Like um like there's no basement moment. That's where true. Bill confronts his uh with his little brother Georgie mm-hmm. and like the you'll float too, it's your fault. Like all of those things. There's nothing really aggressively dark um this time around. But I I think it's as simple as the little firefly moment. Because that grab yeah. it, t- it tugged on your heart with an insecurity. Uh, with a little with a little kid, mm-hmm. and then there's an insecurity that they have, and then Pennywise is just like right there, like you know, using that to make a friend, and then spring his spring his trap, which is just taking a chomp. Yeah, and that that was the part where I was like, I um, nope. Yeah, and that's like that's that, like those like perfect Pennywise moments. Where, like he is like Bill Skarsgård is doing a heck of a job, yeah. but he is just oh, just so like unnerving. Bill, when you look at Bill in real life, you like you kind of relax a little bit. You're like, yeah, all right, the cheekbones, hands. I'm <laughs> like, okay, and that's still a little bit around the eyes uh-huh. with, the, with the Pennywise character. And then as soon as he like just opens his mouth, it's like it's all over and done yeah. for. Um, so, but I think I think that was my favorite, just because like I'm still thinking about it, just even now. But if I had to give a, was there one for you? Uh, that's a really good one. I, I mean, I love the the lumberjack sequence and. I'm trying to think. Um, the the moment where Eddie goes back down to the um, drugstore mm-hmm. and like we get the flashback to his mom being now there, I thought that was really well done as well and like super gross because then the leper like just pukes all over. <laughs> Eddie's like, oh, nasty. Yeah. Um, and then I mean, yeah, there's 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 a lot of good stuff. I don't know if there's anything quite as like 
jumpy as the uh, garage scene in the first one. I think I still think that is, mm-hmm. even though that's the moment that it was shown in the marketing, still watching again. Like, yeah, gets me. It's uh, it's, uh, it's just so, so creepy. Um, a couple last things here that I just thought of. Um, I did not realize this the first in the first movie, and then I only realized it now in the second was that Bev didn't actually kill her father. Oh yeah, which I was like, oh interesting the movie did that that the movie did make it seem like she just took him down for good that's what i that's what i thought i mean because you see his body there on the floor and then pennywise shows up mm-hmm. and then takes her away and you're like oh okay she just he just like took her because she's you know afraid i didn't realize that that was like the moment where he was like haunting her and i didn't like i it was a little weird to know that like when the kids all split up that summer that pennywise then like haunted each of them individually and like we never saw any of that in the first movie um but I was just like, oh, because like when she went to go visit her uh, old old house, old, old apartment, I guess, um, and she's like, oh, I'm looking for you know Marsh, and she's like, oh, he died several years ago, and you're like, wait, how? Why doesn't she know that she killed him? And I was like, oh, she didn't. I was like, that's very interesting. And I was like, was that always the plan? Was that like a slight retcon? I have no idea what the book uh, makes it out to be, but that, that took me by surprise. He, I mean, yeah, he's, he does survive, but I thought, I'm like, yeah, but like in my head, I'm like, oh, the movie Kiss kills him here yeah. because he doesn't really play a part anywhere else. So might as well mm-hmm. make it a tight story. Yeah. And I just figured like there would have been something at the end of one of like, oh, because like at the end of one, she is moving to like Oregon or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my thought was that she was moving because she was parentless. <laughs> and so she was like moving to go be with an extended family member or something mm-hmm. because her dad just died. Yeah. Not that her and her dad were just moving or maybe she was still moving to get away from him anyways. Yeah. But, but I think it's, I think it's still the extended relative. Probably. From the angle. Like, I mean, like, I don't think you would like, but the, I think the the reasoning is just different now where it's like, Oh, he's still around and she's moving to get away from him rather than. She's moving because she killed him. <laughs> yes, it, which it, was a little surprising. Right, it makes it actually a little bit less dark. <laughs> a little bit. Um, and then I did have a question about the totems or tokens or whatever you want to call them mm-hmm. um, for the ritual of Chud. Right. Which is that how it goes in the book where they where Mike lies to them about the ritual? Is that is that accurate or is that different for the movie? Yeah, Mike doesn't exactly like lie. It's just like. The bit of information that's left out. I mean, I guess, okay. that's what I guess it is a lie. It's withholding in a lot of ways. But, so he knows that for this to really work, they're all supposed to die. Um, but my question was whether or not the are the tokens any different in the book? Because that felt to me like something that a lot of them weren't like super defined. Like understood like Bev's being the poem and Ben's being, you know, Bev's signage of her notebook. But like Richie's felt like just kind of like super random um stanley's was just the cap and i understood that based on the flashback not on the first movie mike's well i don't even remember what mike's was oh is the rock from the rock fight and i was like oh, i mean i guess that makes sense but you went and found a bloody rock <laughs> the same one yeah <laughs> there were just a lot of things where i just had questions about like how that worked um but well the rich the ritual of chud is a little it's a little more abstract okay than that um the orgy from uh-huh. the book is involved the first time oh, around okay um, because this is, this is a, this is a new device it's the this is, it uses a new device here um but it's actually part of both times defeating pennywise especially oh. with the um the, the three lights which okay they, the yeah the dead nin- lights yeah the dead lights thank you um so yeah it but the the tokens like yeah the macguffins that everyone's got those are really just ways to 
gotcha you know explore okay because uh, if not it's just well let's go down to the sewer right and so you got to have a little bit of sidewinder yeah no that makes sense um last thing is this the end or are we going to get it three which i don't even know how that would work or like an it prequel showing the origin of pennywise or something are we going to see another installment in the it franchise i can't see stephen king letting someone run around with it i don't think i can um but man a prequel they really lay it on heavy they're like oh man you could he's, he's you been could, around for billions of years mi- yeah they say million they say millions or millions for know. sure so i would not be shocked but i feel like it's the end i feel like it'd make the most sense for it to be the end and i'm not sh- totally sure how you do a pennywise prequel movie you just um, cast a bunch of actors for the but like what like prequel and is it is it, is, it is it set in like i guess i don't a know historic era yeah is he, or is like does he only like is he first awakened in like the 18th or 19th century so you do it like in the 17 or 1800s or something instead um and like go back to like that old time instead of doing it in like prehistoric ages but i just feel like this movie is still going to perform well at the box office. It's surprisingly actually going to come in under the first movie, it seems like, in the opening weekend, which I'm kind of surprised by. Um, but I just can't see if this movie makes another six or $700 million at the box office that Warner Brothers is going to be like, yeah, we're good. Don't worry about it. We'll adapt. We'll get that Dark Tower sequel on the way. It's like, oh, wait, no. That's definitely not happening. So, like, I just feel like it's it's too big of a cash cow if, if this one performs well again for them to just to sit idly by. And I'm sure Stephen King gets some sort of residuals or paychecks mm-hmm. or something based on these properties. So I don't know if he'd totally say no to making another couple million dollars. Yeah, man, it would be interesting. Like, there's no room for it. Like, they've killed it for sure. There's no room for a sequel, sequel. right? I think a prequel is still very much in the cards. Man, I don't. That would be a wild thing for Warner Brothers to chase. But listen, they're they're the only people who are all in on. Um, you know, like on big budget horror, on big budget horror. Yeah. Then, and so if anyone can, if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be them mm-hmm. who pulls it off. I have no clue. Um, I don't think Ari Aster is interested in that, but like, <laughs> that would be insane. I don't know. Um, I would, you know, that was something that I would see, uh, Dan Trachtenberg doing. I of guess, course. I suppose. That would be something kind of epic and cool. But, um, the poetry from this one is gone. And, and so what if it was uh, like Robert Eggers, <laughs> That would be interesting. I mean, I can't wait to see The Lighthouse. Yeah, I'm just oh, thinking like man. after that movie like drops and probably does really well, critically at least. I mean, it's already doing well critically, but like you know, if it gets a couple Oscars or something, it's like he's going to get offered big gigs. And I feel like that would be a very interesting route for him to take for his next step in his career. Yeah. Man, who are you going to get though? Man, you know I mean, what? You have, to, you, sh- have, you have to keep Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise. Of course. But... Yeah, I mean, I just I'm trying to cons- trying to see that movie. Oh yeah, I have no idea. And I don't, I don't, I just can't get there. I think it'll take a very specific, like, insanely kind of brilliant pitch to make it happen. Because I don't think Warner Brothers is gonna be like, all right, tomorrow, it prequel, we're doing it. We have no other details. We don't have a story idea. We don't have anything. We just know we're gonna make another it movie. Uh, I think it's gonna take somebody to come be like, this is my pitch. Whether it's Gary Dobberman, who wrote the first two movies, I think did a really good job doing both of them mm-hmm. um, and being like, I'm going to, here's my script, but I also want to direct it or something. Um, and that's how this movie gets made. But I, I, I just cannot count out the fact that we're going to see more. I mean, weirdly enough, like Carrie Fukunaga would be the 
the guy I'd want to <laughs> come, come back in. and do it. Will Poulter is, uh, becomes Pennywise as he was originally supposed to be instead. Mm-hmm. Was that really what it was supposed to be? For Kerry Fukunaga, was, yeah, he's going to have Will Poulter be Pennywise. That would have that would have worked too. Yeah. I can, to- I can totally see Will Poulter. Because like, he, he is just, you know, he's kind of creepy. <laughs> he is. He's going to be in the Lord of the Rings series. I know. Which that? Is, I saw that. I was like, I've wow. got so many questions there. Um, but I'm looking forward to other Stephen King adaptions. Um, I picked up The Long Walk again. So I'm ready to reread that and kind of find out, you know, what it's all about. Okay. So bring that on well i think that should about cover it for our chapter two discussion um i give it three and a half ticket subs out of five josh gives it four ticket stubs out of five let us know what you guys thought if you've seen the movie hopefully you have if you listen to our spoiler thoughts but if you haven't go see it anyways and let us know what you thought on twitter at friends of film we'll be right back in a bit with the news And we're back with the news, and as always, we can start with our three main topics this week. Continuing the Spider-Man conversation, he is officially out of the MCU, according to Sony chairman and CEO Tony Vincicara, as he told Variety that, yes, the deal as of right now is done. It's not going to be uh, reworked. Um, and, uh, you know, he gave some reasons why that is. Again, the kind of the re- repeated stuff from Sony that Kevin Feige's, you know, stretched too thin to work on Spider-Man that, you know... Um, Kevin's not the only one who was, you know, doing good work on the Spider-Man movies. And, uh, but then he also included the caveat and the, the bit of news that he did confirm that Tom Holland's Spider-Man is going to now be integrated into the shared universe that Sony started with Venom in 2018. So that puts a, uh, a bed to that lingering question of, well, will they or won't they? Uh, it's, it's definitely a will they. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm not sure how to feel about it. <laughs> well, the thing though, like it, you know, you say you put it into the question, but does it? Because like, re, like read his quote in full, I mm-hmm. suppose. For the moment, the door is closed. Right. Why? What is with that? Like, it's all of this hedging. It's all of this. I don't mean to yell, but uh, you're not yelling. <laughs> I mean, like he's just like, there's no ill will. He goes on to say, like, there's no ill will. Mm-hmm. It's a long life. Who knows what can happen? And I'm like, dude why like what's with all of these adamants and these they're just it's just hedging yeah it's 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 saying while trying to stake out a position but without you know make saying something definite or committing and it's 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 makes me roll my eyes it's nuts this it's negotiating out in the open all over again yeah i mean sony's like both of the this is like their second i think public statement about the whole thing that it's just like they're just kind of going over the same talking points, and each time they mention, I'm just like, it just doesn't, it doesn't line up. Mm-hmm. Kevin Feige is not too busy or stretched too thin to work on Spider-Man. He's got, it's not, I mean, yes, he's not the only one at Marvel Studios. He's the creative overseer of the whole thing, but you know, he has Nate Moore, Victoria Alonso, um, uh, a whole bunch of other people over there that are helping him make this universe. And if he was really too busy, he would be like, all right, we're going to have somebody. Just be our, you know, because like Nate Moore does, like he handles like Black Panther. I think I think he did Guardians as well, um, or maybe he was you know Civil War or something. But like they have these different people who take on different kind of movies and be like, all right, these are our franchises, and Kevin Feige oversees the whole thing. So wouldn't he just delegate 
the Spider-Man franchise to like one of his subordinates. Be like, all right, you cover this. Let me know what you're thinking, and I'll give notes as I always do. Like, the, there's no world or reason why Kevin Feige would be too busy to work with Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And it just seems it seems a little petty. A lot of Sony's statements, especially this last one from Vince Caro, where he's just like, you know. Kevin's not the only one who's working on these movies. Yeah, they, Spidey, Spider-Man was had a, Spider-Man was successful before the team up, so he'll be successful after the work, after the fact. I'm just like, come on, man. Like, sure, your movies were always making money, and mm-hmm. I mean, for the most part, I think the good Spider movies outweigh the bad ones in terms of yes. numbers. So you can't. Uh, Sony's not a complete failure when it comes to handling Spider-Man, but they're three of two. The two of the three or four best ones depending on what you think of the first two Raimi movies mm-hmm. um, are the MC ones the head can fight involved that he was the creative uh, you know guider on and you're just like you can't just be like well it was really you know Tom Roth was given great input or I was or whoever because yeah. that's not the case Kevin Feige is the one calling the shots you guys are just putting up the money for it and now you're reaping the rewards and now you're taking it away and it just it doesn't make a lot of sense um, their statements and now the I, i'm still not sure like you mentioned like is it really over i don't know that all of their statements every statement from everybody who's commented on this is like oh we had a great year we had a great run but you never know what the future holds but if this is the end we had a great time we were privileged blah 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 blah, blah. Mm-hmm. so yeah the door's closed for now but you know the the door to get into our studios closed you know six days a week <laughs> and it's only the one we need to get in here is it reopened and right. so, you know we can you can open this door anytime you want Sony mm-hmm. or Disney or whoever yeah. is uh, you know responsible for the split. Right. The, so the door is the door is the door is closed. Yes, but everybody has a key to right. It can walk in. And as moment. Hawkeye, I think uh, very um, astutely says in the Avengers, doors work both ways. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> this isn't just a one way street where it's like Sony's like eh. The door's locked and we key, we don't have the key to get in. Marvel's locked us out. It's like no, it's a it's a it's one of those doors like a restaurant that doesn't have a oh, lock and yeah. it just it's for the waiters. It just goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Swinging door. Yeah, it's one of those doors. Somebody just has to be bold enough to walk through it mm-hmm. and talk to the chef, or if you're the chef, walk out and talk to the waitress, yeah. and that's all you have to do. And, and you and you know, I I gotta wonder on the top on the top of my head, like you know, like um he continues uh Vincent era, like you know, talking about how um. We have plenty of terrific people too. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's the there's that ego thing. Yeah. But there, but it's very like we want all of our things to be in your things too. Mm-hmm. And that kind of seems like it's the play. Oh yeah, a thousand percent. Well, because if they if they do this, and if they, as you know, Vince Carr says, Spider Man's going to be in the Venom verse, one way or another. He'll he'll appear in Venom two, or Venom will appear in Spider Man three, or whatever the case is going to be. Spider Man's going to be part of this universe. The second that is done, if the deal falls apart or if, you know, Spider-Man 3 struggles or whatever and they come crawling back to Marvel or Marvel and so you finally renegotiate or whatever, then you can't just be like, okay, we're only taking Spider-Man back because now he's connected to Venom. They've shared the screen. You can't just be like, all right, now Venom's out of the picture too. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's it's probably a shrewd business move on the part of Sony to be like, okay, guys, Venom is starting, starting filming at, in November first day we need to have tom holland on set filming a scene so that we can say to marvel he's in venom 2 if you want him back you have to take venom with you Mm -hmm. plus all of our other movies that we're planning and like that's a that's a good move for your sony for your business probably um 
that's probably also where the the divide lies if you're Marvel Studios, where it's like, yeah, we, you know, I'm sure Kevin Feige would love to do, you know, a Venom movie, mm-hmm. but he doesn't want to do one right now. Yeah. <laughs> so it's that really tricky scenario. Where like, well, what do you do? And I think if I think at this point, Marvel Studios is like, all right, I guess, I guess we're done because Sony, like, we have a very specific plan, and Sony's just kind of like. Eh, screw your plan. <laughs> we have plans of our own. And here's the thing, too, though. Like, Marvel is kind of giving up Earth, too, in a way, like, with their strategy. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't know for certain what's going down. But the United States, like, seems to be, like, left in the dirt. We're going to be going to Wakanda. We're going to be going to outer <laughs> yeah. space. Like, who needs America you know, at this point? We don't, who needs New Just York? Just Disney Plus, who I needs, think. <laughs> yeah, that's really it. That's, that's going to focus on some low-key Avenger stories. No pun intended. And then, like, Eternals. Yeah. Eternals, Outer Space. Um, Fantastic Four. I mean, Black Widow, I guess, but that's, you know, in the past. So it's like, eh, does it count? Yeah. Right. All of these space-bound films. Mm-hmm. And it'd be like, well, and then S.H.I.E.L.D. going to outer space. So you have, like, the Justice yeah. League station in orbit <laughs> or whatever. And, like, you know, it's just sort of like, they're just kind of like, well, okay, you can shoot yourselves in the face and the foot and, like, you know, whatever, Sony. We're going to do our thing and then just don't kill Tom Holland and whenever, right. you, whenever you're, like, desperate, we'll have the upper hand again and he can, you know, hang out with the Fantastic Four mm-hmm. and when the time comes for that yeah, and I mean, so on and so forth. I think I think it's just so fascinating because it's just, like, again, we don't know how the deal works. I'm assuming when Sony and Marvel agreed to this deal originally, they were, like, Right, if we're sharing, the, you know, the Tom Holland version of Spider Man, we don't want to see a Venom movie introduce another version of Peter Parker or something. Like, we want this to be the only Peter Parker on the big screen. But there are other Spider Man that are not Peter Parker. Could Sony have used Miguel O'Hara or a live action Miles Morales or, uh, uh like I don't know, uh, you know, uh. Peter Porker or whoever mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, there, there are options out there. I'm not saying that you should do that necessarily. Um, but like, I just wonder like h- how many variations of this we could have gotten. And now it's just kind of, we're in the stalemate where it's, I think if we're going to have this deal resolved, it's going to have to be Marvel studios gets 25 to 40% of all movies they produce and co-finance. Mm-hmm. But Instead of just doing Spider-Man standalone movies, they also now have to do Venom. Um, I mean, not Morbius. That one's already done. Marvel Studios has a hand in that one. But like any other, a Black Cat movie, a Silver Sable movie, a Jackpot movie, a Nightwatch, whatever else Sony's dreaming up over there. Right. Then Marvel Studios also has a hand in in that in some regards. And maybe they could work something out where it's like, all right, you can make your Nightwatch movie, but we're not really going to help you with that one. We'll, we'll give you some creative input, but we're not going to work as hard as we are on yeah. Spider-Man because if that one fails, doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just it's just kind of crazy because if they do take this all under, like at some point, there's only so many movies Marvel Studios can produce, and right. it's just like I'm sure Sony's like Sony's going to want I think one Spider-Man related movie a year. Yeah. Next year they'll probably have two after not having a single one this year, and or I guess they they did have Spider-Man for Home, so. I, that was a lie. Um, but like, I think that's their, that's what they are going to want is one movie per year. And if you're Marvel studios, you're going to be like, okay, well that either means that we as a studio only get to make two films per year, or we have to go to four. Sony makes one of them all by themselves. And we produce that. 
we make three of our own, which also now have to incorporate Fantastic Four and X-Men in a couple years. And we have to make these four Disney Plus shows each year. Like, that's a lot of content. And, you know, at a certain point, there probably is a breaking point for Kevin Feige. But I don't think that that breaking point's going to be over whether or not he can keep using Spider-Man. His favorite character. Exactly. You know, I, I, it increasingly feels like Sony's like, Kevin Feige's too busy to work on Spider-Man and all of our other properties that we wanted to do right. before. Well, and it, so like, we had to walk away. And it's like, it's not Kevin. Kevin Feige has never once said, oh, I'm, I'm just too busy <laughs> to work on. I'm too busy working on our own things to work on Sony's things. It's always Sony saying, ah, oh, Kevin's too busy. It's like, eh. Kevin is Unless a, he says it, I'm not going to believe it. Yeah. And here's the thing, though, too. Kevin's a curator of talent. Yeah. They, I mean, helped, he helped to get. But he helped get John Watts. He helped get Tom Holland and the, the, the mostly the rest of it, all the other mm-hmm. you know MCU talent. Past that, it's him kind of giving notes on stories and things like mm-hmm. that, which is not very time consuming. Right. I mean, you just know? like just think about how much content Marvel Studios is going to put out over the next two years. They have uh, two five movies in the next two years plus seven Disney Plus shows. I think. Or maybe mm-hmm. it's six. Uh, or no, it's five. It's yeah, it's five movies, five TV shows in the next two years. Plus, we have Black Panther two in twenty twenty one, and we have three more Disney Plus shows on the way. So, like, that's a lot of content. Kevin Feige can't be overseeing all of them in a. I'm going to watch everything. I'm going to read everything. I'm going to do everything. He has to delegate this all out, and that's why his his days. Whenever people ask him about, it, he's like, it's normally a meeting here, you know, looking at storyboards here, looking at concept art here, going to this movie and looking at you know the dailies, talking to new talent potentially, talking to directors, talking about the larger vision. He has to do. He has a thousand plates on his shoulders spinning around, and he can't you know stop all of that just to look at Spidey. You know, he he'd have to delegate this all out. Right. So I don't I don't buy it for a second. I still think. At this point, that there's yet to be any official announcement that Spider-Man is that Tom Holland's going to be in Venom Two, or Spider-Man Three has officially been dated, or a director has been hired. As long as no creative decisions are made officially on the Spider-Man front, I think there's always the likely a a a chance uh something that's more likely than not to happen with this deal. So. Then again, I also didn't think that Antonio Brown would be a Raider or would be a Patriot today. So, you know, what do I know? What? Oh, have you not seen that news? No. Yeah. So he got released. I joked about it he got, he got released from the Raiders and the Pats signed him for one year, 15 million, nine guaranteed. And uh, Tom Brady is going to be lethal. This it's season. it's insane. I, I hate it as a Steelers fan to see him go from us to a terrible organization in the Raiders to then go to the quote unquote best, but the organization i hate the most in the pats oh yeah it's just like come on yeah joining the empire i mean there's i mean there's no i guess no shame in it other than we're just gonna hate you entirely oh exactly so. there's this really weird video of that he posts online of when he found out he was being released from the raiders and he was so excited and run around I'm like this just feels strange <laughs> what like he played everybody just to they get to him, the pats they had him they were like filming him and stuff yeah like his like crew had like him filmed him when he saw the tweet he ran around his backyard called his grandma he's like i'm free i'm free i'm free i'm like this doesn't seem like a guy who's insane and was like oh i accidentally burned the bridges with the raiders it's more like this is all part of my, my diabolical plan to get to the pats and now i'm just really confused cell phone video yeah okay it's, 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 it doesn't make me feel that bad about it i mean no like it's like he knows that they're videotaping him Oh, so it's produced. Yes. It's what so, is it is so strange. It's totally off topic. It doesn't re- relate to what we're talking about here, but it's just, 
an insane world we live in. Oh, dude, that's not cell phone video. That looks highly produced. I just looked it not up. Not as highly as produced as his YouTube <laughs> video about, you know, this is my life. I'm more than a football player, which was just all like. all the A24 videos. Yeah, it was just like, there oh. There we go. There's our movie hook. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is Antonio Brown's life going to be an A24 movie in the next five years? Yes or no? Let us know on Twitter as we move on to the Tomb Raider sequel, uh, which Deadline revealed this week is going to be directed by Ben Wheatley. Uh, once again, starring Alicia Vikander as Laura Croft. And the movie would, will hit theaters on March 19th, 2021. So seven days after my birthday, so that'll be a nice uh, way to celebrate what my, oh boy, 27th birthday. Oh gosh, I'm getting old, Josh. Congratulations. But, but this is this is great news because the first Tomb Raider, if you've listened to the podcast the last two years, was really good and probably the best video game movie that has ever come out. So I'm ecstatic to see this sequel moving forward. We've known about it for a little bit now. Um, and now to see Ben Wheatley step aboard as the director, even though I, I kind of wished Roar Uthog would come back because I thought he did a solid enough job with that first movie. Um, ben Wheatley brings a little bit more style and flair uh, to this, which makes me really curious to see what this movie is going to become. Yeah, uh, I would say vision and mayhem tied together. Um, I've only seen two of his films, um, Down Terrace and Free Fire, um, and then his limited series High Rise. So. That's not a limited series. That's not a limited series? Oh, that's a movie. That's well, a movie? The one with Tom Hiddleston. He's like in a building. Oh, no. I was thinking of The Tenant or The Doorman. Something yeah. else with Tom Hiddleston. Oh, 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 oh. oh um, shoot. I can't think of the name. But yeah, it stars like Elizabeth Debicki. And, yes. Uh, All right. Wrong thing. So I have only seen. But you've still seen two things of his. Two things of his. I retract those films or that last one. But there's there's a vision and a purpose and it's very clear and you can see it. And there's a reason he's making movies. Yes. Now he's getting the, the famed English property. Here we go. Like, with him with a massive studio budget, it's going to be something new. Maybe and it won't be. Or maybe it won't be a massive studio budget. Maybe they're like trying to strip down. Because, I mean, as happy as I am to see this Tomb Raider sequel move forward, the first one I don't even think crossed $300 million at the box office. Um, I want to say it made like 275 So, like, this isn't like this gigantic money earner for the studio. It's instead like if you can pare this thing down to like a 60 to $70 million budget and go more in on the characters, um, maybe use like, I don't know, just find a way to reduce this budget, which is something Ben Wheatley's been great at in the past is doing a lot with a little in terms of a budget. So maybe that's an idea that they're going to go with. And that way, if this movie makes the same amount of money worldwide, then it's like, this is even a bigger success and we can continue the franchise on further and further. Yeah. Alicia Vikander is definitely like a, an incredibly tall performer and brings it home in the Laura Croft movie, but there's, Walter Goggins and he brings with him an entire like wave of movie feels uh-huh. and that's where it got like out of bounds for me but so seeing it pared down and seeing Ben just give her those guns and letting her run with it mm-hmm. with um, Nick Frost popping up occasionally Hopefully. and of course he's got to and seeing where it goes from there that would be phenomenal um, especially maybe like a, a low grade Indiana Jones movie oh yeah Not low grade but just yeah that's um, definitely what the first one is going is like trying to be absolutely but getting back to that kind of aspect rather than the conspiracy world that they're cooking up in those yeah. movies like push that into the rug a little bit I'm sure you can probably still deal with both where it's like oh we must find out more about this secretly evil organization that I used to own or I do own or I don't remember how it works completely with Warcraft's money but um I just feel like you could still do both of those things where she's on this adventure, but the adventure is tied to figuring more out about this 
organization. Yeah. And so that way you have both pieces of the pie and you just kind of, we just move on. I bring it on. I, I mean like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to see this. I don't think you could have picked a better director for the sequel after a just fine movie for me. I, I mean, I know one, you already mentioned in the pod, oh, Dan yeah, Trachtenberg. That's right. Oh, he would have been phenomenal. You just, too. you know, after, Uncharted. after, after Uncharted, he's like, you know what? All right, Sony, you won't have me. I'm going to go over, I believe this is MGM who does Tomb Raider. Uh, and I'm going to go to the, the female nice. <laughs> version of this. And phenomenal. he would have done a great job, but I, I'm excited to see what Ben Wheatley does instead. Um, let's move on to, uh, Probably the most exciting news of the week, uh, because Haley Atwell has joined the cast on Mission Impossible Seven, maybe Mission Impossible Eight as well. Um, but the writer director Christopher McQuarrie, who has directed the last two movies, helped write uh, the fourth one as well a little bit. He announced on Instagram, or he teased, he's like, you know, if you choose to accept your mission, tagged Haley Atwell. Then she replied, or she posted her own uh, thing on Instagram and said, I accept, but I'm not great at following directions. And you know, it's a really funny way to to make this announcement. Either way. I'm ec- I'm ecstatic about this because Haley Atwell is the best. She is so good, but in every big Hollywood movie she's cast in, she she's pretty much been underutilized. Um, ex- I mean, you could probably maybe not say that about Captain America: The First Avenger because she's mm-hmm. like kind of the co-lead of that movie in a way. But like this, like she has nothing to do in any of the other MC movies. She gets like sidelining Christopher Robin. Yes. Uh, oh. un- unfortunately. And, you know, she's done some other things there. Agent Carter was a good show for her to lead. And like, she's done some other, like I think BBC productions and, you know, she was good on uh, black mirror and stuff. But now to see her like get to be the first new cast announcement, I think hopefully means that she's going to have a very large role in seven, hopefully eight as well. And we're going to see a lot of Haley Atwell kicking butt, maybe being on the IMF team with Ethan Hunt, but if her captions anything to tease, uh, she may not totally see eye to eye with Ethan, which I think would be great if there's a little back and forth about, eh, I know how to do this better than you. Or maybe she's, I guess she's British, so maybe she's like the the British version. Mm-hmm. She's like, maybe she's part of like MI6 and she's like an old friend of like Rebecca Ferguson's or something. I was going to say that, that or Vanessa Kirby's yeah. character as well. There's some great, there'll be some great back and forth like ready for there. But yeah, she is, she is, she's perfect to join the universe especially like you you see it in captain america where she's like really ready to throw the pickup lines and throw them right back at people and um doesn't i haven't seen the ancient carter series but i'm imagining it's a lot of that same thing mm-hmm. in a lot of ways um chris like you said though but completely underutilized like i don't know why we don't have Haley atwell led movies i don't right yeah now. i don't understand or it. netflix series or something like you said like one black mirror episode mm-hmm. and that was like be right back. One of, that was like one of the first seasons, like season one or two, I think. It was her and uh, Donald Gleason, I think, together. Great pairing. Yeah. But anyway, this is phenomenal. Like, Mission Impossible, I'm newly on board the Mission Impossible train as of last year. Yes. Yes. And so, which Fallout is still pitch perfect. Mm-hmm. I cannot wait to see her get to do the things that Christopher McQuarrie and Tom... Um, Cruise? Tom Cruise, thank you. <laughs> Can't you lose know, them. just cook up and run with because she's totally going to crush it. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's awesome. She's charismatic. She's beautiful. She kicks butt. Like she just checks all the boxes, what you could want from the mission impossible franchise. And thankfully, since it seems like it's the Faust has been like teed up as the romantic pairing for Ethan Huntley, it means that she's not going to just be the, the new love interest for him, which is like great because that means she just gets to be like her own character and just like be there and be awesome and hopefully who knows maybe one day we get like a spin-off tv series just focused around her that'd be phenomenal i don't know it's probably wishful thinking at this point because we don't know what role she's playing mm-hmm. she could be the bad guy for all we know but uh 
this is just this is just great news and i'm hoping that it is not just seven that she's part of eight and this is part of like her being a, a big part of these next two movies and probably the last two movies of the mission possible franchise these Ethan hunt but i mean yeah more Haley atwell please and thank you chris from macquarie uh for this great news let's move on to ticket or skip it there's a bunch of trailers that come out this week we only get to pick one to give a ticket to eat individually we got the second trailer for jojo rabbit the first trailer for between two ferns the movie the first trailer for just mercy the first trailer for bad boys for life the first trailer for waves and the first trailer for blumhouse's black christmas remake josh which one of these movies gets your ticket this Man, week? I really wanted to give it to Waze because that really just took my breath away. Uh-huh. But no, it's Jojo Rabbit. I man, Taika Waititi, this movie just checks all of the boxes. Incredibly out there. Um, peppy and spirited, screwball humor, um, physical comedy, left, right, and center, and just complete and utter goofiness all around the edges and inside. And then there's Scarlett Johansson, like tugging at your heartstrings, which she's probably going to like do mm-hmm. this entire fall. Jojo rabbit gets my ticket because man, I really, really can't wait for this movie. Yeah. I really like this trailer. Cause it actually gave you like some of the, the story, mm-hmm. which the first one is just like, Hey, it's Taika doing Hitler. You're like, <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> right. well, this could go in a lot of different directions, but like this one's yes. like, no, this is like a heartfelt movie. And like, this is like Taika at his best. Hopefully. Um, I think I'm actually going to give my ticket. Um, it's, it's really tough. Because there's like you know those great Oscar dramas like Just Mercy looks great, Waves mm-hmm. looks great, but the one that just like kind of caught me by surprise was Between Two Firms, the movie, okay. which I was just like, <laughs> okay, like the, those sketches of Zach Galifianakis are great, mm-hmm. uh, and then the, this movie opens with him killing Matthew McConaughey. And I was like, okay, <laughs> yes. yes, I'm in <laughs> this movie. Like the cast that just keeps popping up of how many people in this show. I was like, oh my gosh, it's gonna be loaded. It's gonna it's it's just. I'm just very excited to see this. It's going to be on Netflix, so it's going to be like a day one stream, and I'll just watch it like, it, like the the very first day. Just like, oh, this is just amazing and so funny. Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed. But mm-hmm. yeah, this trailer was a surprise. I didn't know it was coming, and I mean, I knew the movie was on the way, but uh, this was just like a, a very nice piece of joy <laughs> to get in the middle of the in the week. You killed Maddie McConaughey. I didn't even know that that was like a thing. Like, like I'm like, what? Like, okay, he's fine. I'm like. Oh no, they're like literally gonna like play out his death for yeah. us here, which is phenomenal. But yeah, you like you mentioned it; it's stacked. I'm I'm excited for that. Yeah, uh, let's move on to the flyby here to wrap up this episode, which is a pretty quick one this week. As the Birds of Prey, uh, the and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, I believe is the full title. Mm-hmm. Um, its first teaser trailer uh, was in theaters this week, attached to it, Chapter Two. Josh, we both saw it. What are your brief thoughts on this quick look at the movie? I think it's going to be something really fun, but also like uh, Margot Robbie looks like she's getting, like she's actually like being free and letting, mm-hmm. de- letting her just go loose with Harley Quinn in a way that's poppy, colorful and just exciting all around. But um, I want to know more about Ethan McGregor and all of the blazers and suits that he'll be wearing right. because <laughs> I am uh, that, I got that first look and it looks great. Um, then also Mary Tyler Elizabeth Winstead, um, Looks phenomenal as Canary. She is she is Huntress, yes. and then Journey Smollett Bell is Black Canary. Yeah, looks great. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the visuals are probably like the standard of it. Just like okay, Kathy Ann's doing something again. That just like it looks different than uh, any other comic movie we've seen so far. So I'm excited to see that. There's not much else to take away from it besides that. It's like oh, a couple cool looks at the characters. Har- Harley's hyenas are in the movie, great. Um, but yeah, I, I want to know more about the actual story and see. It extended look at it, not just a really quick highlight reel, because like 
the trailer, the teaser is 40 seconds long, but the first like 20, 25 is just the intro. <laughs> That's very it themed. Uh, so I'm, I'm ready to see more of this and hopefully we get to see a full trailer here uh, in the next month or so. Um, but we also got a report from THR this week that Eco Uace has joined the cast of the Snake Eyes movie at Paramount. He will play the mentor to Snake Eyes who's named Hardmaster. Um, Josh, you're not that familiar with Eco, correct? I am not that familiar with Eco. I mean, of course, we saw him in Stuber. Um, I knew he was in Mile 22. Um, I really need to get to the Raid movies <laughs> really bad. Um, but that's a, that's about where my uh, my ideas stop. So you're, you're not like, this doesn't really do a lot for you. But I know he's a true performer mm-hmm. on and off camera. Yeah, I mean, he is. He's maybe one. He's, he's one of he's definitely one of the best on-screen fighters that you'll ever see he is just the best and so to know that he's going to be involved with this movie in any capacity is great to know that he's going to be the one that is training snake eyes makes just all the sense in the world and hopefully means we're going to get some great action sequences between him and henry golding um and i my my only fear is that this movie won't totally know how to utilize him because like that like mile 22 had him had some really brutal fight sequences with him at the center, but they cut a lot around him. And I'm just like, you don't need to do this. He is one of like, like just look at the gift that I posted when I shared this news on Twitter. And it's just like this great circling shot from the raid of him just fighting, fighting, fighting. And like, he is an expert at this stuff. Please, whatever you do, Paramount, uh, the director, Robert Schwenke, please just let him do his thing. Extended sequences. He's even, he can even bring in his own stunt team and help you make these stunts and fights look unlike anything else. That were like that, unlike most things we're getting on the big screen in terms of action. So please just let him do his thing. Paramount movies tend to, I mean, they publish, they do the um, Mission Impossible. The Mission Impossible. <laughs> I think we have a we have a shot at. I hope so. Something good there. It's just again the the creative team around this movie is just like oh man. If uh, if, this, if this was a Chad Stahelski movie, I'd be like okay, this is gonna be golden. But it's like Robert Schwenke. Eh? Okay, we'll see. Um, and lastly, there was a report from Deadline that Peter Capaldi has joined the cast of the Suicide Squad in an unknown role, as well as Pete Davidson in, an, in a cameo capacity. So James Gunn is literally just casting just about everyone, it seems, for this movie. He just keeps casting more and more and more and more and more people. And each time it's like, okay, great. I can't, I can't wait to see this movie. I think it's... Pro, it's it's up there for my most anticipated DCEU, whatever you want to call it, movie. Yeah, I have so many questions about the Pete Davidson casting. I don't know what that means. I other than Pete Davidson's probably in the movie. Himself. I, I really, I really hope he just plays himself and then like <laughs> he just he dies. <laughs> he dies on Gets screen. His head bit off. Yeah, by that, shark like man. that. Like that'd be hilarious. That would be perfect. I don't know why he would necessarily sign up for that, but like that would be <laughs> a really great bit of comedy for from James Gunn. So I would, I would love it. Uh, we will have to wait and see. It doesn't come out till August of 2021, so it will be a while before we see Pete Davidson in the Suicide Squad if he does indeed sign on in the first place. But that is all we have for this week. Next week. I don't know what we're reviewing, actually. Uh, me neither. Probably a movie. Probably a movie. If we're not, it's not a movie. It'll be some list or some topic, or we'll come up with something. But stay tuned for more info on next week's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, though, uh, be sure to tell us your thoughts on Think Covered by Chris for the film, and you can follow me personally on Twitter at MovieCooper. And you can get at me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, head over to iTunes, give us a five-star review with comments, tell us why you enjoyed this to the show. And thanks again for tuning into the Defense Film Podcast, Josh, the Goldfish, the Hustler, or Can You Keep a Secret? Ooh. One second. But be sure to turn to next week to find out which one of those movies we review.